This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Save big money on everything. Now at Menards. Make quick work of your outdoor cleaning project with Masterforce Outdoor and Landscaping Tools. The 80-volt cordless trimmer is powerful, efficient, and hassle-free. So you spend less time working on your yard and more time enjoying the results. On sale now through May 19th. Check out our wide selection of Masterforce tools and see the rest of our deals on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Jason Concepcion. And I'm Rosie Knight. And welcome to X-Ray Vision, the Crooked Media Podcast, where we dive deep into your favorite shows, movies, comics, and pop culture. In this episode, in the airlock, it's a big mailbag, baby. Gonna answer all your Let's questions. Go. And in Nerd Out, guess what? It's another question that we're gonna <laughs> answer. Let's get into our bag. We're stepping out of the airlock and into the mailbag to answer your questions. Swati asks, what are you reading and loving? Always love hearing your recommendations for books, comics, and graphic novels. Rosie, what are you What are you reading? I have been reading many great things. I recently wrote an entry for Polygon's Best Comics of the Year so far. Ooh. And it was for a self-published comic by a graphic novelist and cartoonist who I love called Olivia Stevens. And she's most well known. She did a really cute younger readers book called Artie and the Moonwolf. But she has published on Gumroad and uh, it on, yeah, basically online you can find it. And it's, she's published a book that is called Darlin and Her Other Names. And it's like a black and white adult horror Western romance werewolf comic. And it is just like the coolest, most atmospheric beautiful like it's 88 pages long but you will read it really quickly and then immediately read it again and that that really blew me away I thought that was really great I'm also reading a really scary novel called oh, good. Uh, a god good. in the Sh- it's yeah which I love I love a scary book I called a god in the shed by JF Deboe and it is like really scary it's kind of like a cosmic horror meets true detective about like a small town that's next to a forest where there's been all these serial killings but a young girl kind of starts to realize that it's not necessarily what it looks like and there's might be like this kind of elder god-esque monster in their mist and that's really i've really been enjoying that i love a good i love a good cosmic horror story especially if it's like really scary and kind of grim and this is that good small town noiry horror so those two have been I love that big on my list did you have any scary woods near you, you know what growing up when i lived very much in the city but there was a forest that you could go to called epping forest i have to say i always found it quite magical 
You had to go mm. quite, it's what felt like quite far. But but I could, I did often think about like getting lost in the woods being quite a scary experience. What about you? Did you have a scary wood near you? I also lived a very urban and suburban on the edges of urban mm-hmm. existence. But I had a couple of sort of nature areas that were quasi-magical or at least places where in the in the Steven Spielberg sense of things like kids could be kids yeah and yeah crazy yeah. kid shit one was so there was a uh, there was a like a three acre four acre abandoned lot next to oh creepy uh, next to the middle school called the we the, all the kids for as long as anybody could remember called the cornfields there was like crash cars in there <laughs> there was like some kids over the course of like two months built like a, a BMX track like Whoa. just with shovels and stuff and it was totally like wooded over it's where we would go and like watch fights yeah after yeah, yeah, school. yeah yeah like yeah. you just go through go the, the cornfields go to the cornfields and watch someone get their head caved in and uh but it was uh, it was also like full of rabbits which was really oh. cool i thought was awesome and very go magical there. realism just yeah, like an unexpected bunny when we were like turning you know hitting our teens but not mm. so we weren't like Oh, this is not cool yet. But we were kind yeah, of yeah, more yeah. had more agency in our childhoods. We would go there, especially at night and when it was raining, and like quote unquote explore the cornfields with like flashlights, like as if yeah, we were yeah. We used to do that, something. but it was just like a normal. Park. It was a park called Clissold Park, which was right in the middle of the the neighborhood where I lived, like Stoke Newington. <laughs> it was like near, opposite my school, but we would go there at night, and it would be like terrifying. Our parents would always be like, "Don't go and hang out there at night," and we'd be like, "Yeah." <laughs> We're just going to hang out at our friend's house and tell one friend you're hanging somewhere and one friend you're hanging somewhere else. And then you end up all just meeting in the park and like nothing nefarious ever happened. But the the threat of it was definitely always there in the in the dark woods. And then I grew up across the street from a sump. Do you know what a sump is? I do not know what a sump is. A sump? A, a, first of all, the word sump was a word that I just thought was a universal word. I didn't realize that it's maybe a made-up word or it's certainly <laughs> maybe regionally a, specific maybe a regional word as sump is a large basin in oh. which collects like rainwater and stuff but like huge oh. like the size of like two football fields yeah, and yeah they have these all around long island i guess to you know collect water that i guess then gets I, one would hope filtered somehow and then goes <laughs> into the drinking water supply i lived right across the street from this and we would sneak into it pretty regularly when we were kids and like build little forts and catch frogs and like set very, very controlled fires and stuff. (laughs) But one uh, summer there was like a dead uh, possum and like at the entry, there was a big, big like rain collection tunnel that you could go into like a pretty far ways. I don't, I don't think I ever went in more than like 50 yards, but like you could go, you could go in it. Yeah. And uh, there was this like dead possum there. And it was like the somehow that became like the most interesting thing to like observe for months was just this possum decomposing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very Stephen King. All yeah. of that. So it's like you're a child and you're on the edge of like life and death and understanding like mortality and it's all taking place in like a naturey space. That the book I got in the shed, it actually has that is kind of the opening space is very much in that like stand by me space before it kind of switches into this really dark thing. Okay. So gosh, what am I, 
I, I've been rewatching Deadwood. So after Secret Invasion, I was like, I need great dialogue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I need, like, You're like, I need some of the best TV writing to ever have been written. That's ever happened. So I, uh, I burned through all three seasons of Deadwood plus the movie, like in oh, so four good. days recently. And then just because I couldn't get enough, I went, I've been, I have a subscription to, uh, to newspaper.com, which is an archive of newspapers from all around the world that goes back to like the, the early 18th century. Like wow. you can find like broadsheets from like 1760 in there. And so I just like started reading newspapers from, uh, you know, the late 19th century that mentioned like characters from Deadwood. <laughs> and, um, and I found some really, really cool ones. Like it's the Philadelphia Times, April mm-hmm. 7th, 1895. And it has a very, very long and well-written feature uh, about called the Deadwood Coach. And it's all about like the history of this stagecoach, which was now coming to an end over in Deadwood, that yeah. was used to take gold, which was being mined on illegally mined on indigenous land at the time and taken out to, you know, places in the country, quote unquote, mm-hmm. the actual nation of the, of America, where it could then be, you know, transferred to a bank or whatever. And this thing ran for 15 years or whatever, you know, under threat of various road agents and uh, raiders and what have you. Very interesting article. Um, so I did that. Like, And let's see, what am I reading? I am reading, I'm still reading uh, the Revolutionary Spring History of the uh, Revolutions of 1848 Mm -hmm. by Christopher Clark. Very good. Uh, Super, super interesting. And uh, kind of, it kind of steals the hope from you, Rosie, because it's like, (laughs) wow, all the shit that we're concerned about right now are this exact same issues minus like climate change Mm -hmm. that people were concerned about in 1830, 1835, 1848 in the various mm-hmm. German principalities and and it's all throughout Europe and it's uh, – that part of it makes you a fuck. I guess we're fucked. Like we're just trapped in this matrix yeah. loop and we're never going to be able to get out of it. But it's very interesting uh, and it's uh, – and it's uh, – it's, illumi- it's been illuminating to see like the early – evolution of of some of the political terminology mm-hmm. that we use so readily today like what did liberalism mean in 1848 yep. what did conservatism mean um and then i've been reading this uh elmore leonard novel freaky deaky just from oh yeah yeah time. yeah yeah we're, uh about a a bomb plot run by kind of these uh aging hippies it's set in like the 80s so it's like hippies mm-hmm. who are now in their 30s uh, and maybe they messed around with some of the kind of like alt leftist weatherman style politics of the 60s. And now they're turning that into how can we get money by building a bomb or pretending to build a bomb or threatening someone with a bomb? It's, uh, you know, if you like Elmore Leonard, and you should, uh, <laughs> it's just, uh, it's a wonderful ride. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I'll, you actually inspired me was there's a book. I read it a while back, but I, I always recommend it to people. We haven't spoken it about it on here, and it's very relevant right now with the strikes and everything. There's a really great book written by Kim Kelly, who's a brilliant music journalist turned labor journalist called Fight Like Hell, and it's like an untold history of American labor organization. Mm-hmm. And it's just so good, and it gives you so much insight into, again, how a lot 
of the yeah. stuff that we're fighting for has always been fought for, but it has an inspiring bent because it's like, look at what it's achieved. Like if we organize, look what can be achieved. So I've been really thinking about that a lot. And I think a lot of people who are on strike at the moment or who are supporting the strikes in the entertainment industry would do really well to read it because it's great. And it kind of reminds you that what we're fighting for is what everyone's fighting for, just at like different levels. And people have actually achieved incredible stuff through organizing via labor. I should add, quick strike update. The mm. AMPTP has reached out to the WGA and said, let's Whoa. talk this Friday. So by the After time some of you days. will be listening to this, uh, negotiations theoretically will have restarted in the in the now near 100-day strike mm -hmm. of the WGA against the AMPTP. will be very interesting to see what happens there. And now on a completely different page, uh, Tyrannosaurus Greg asks... If you were going to be given the Super Scroll treatment and could get powers yes. and abilities from only four characters, like our classic Super Scroll cut, who would you pick? They can be from any fandom, not just comics, but only oh. one only one from each. Jason, this is a huge oh question. God. What would you what would you do? Okay, I would do one. Uh I would uh Kitty Pride phasing powers. Sick. And walk through walls. That kind of stuff. It just is very efficient, a lot easier. You know, of course, you could. There are numerous illicit activities one could achieve with this, but <laughs> I wouldn't, of bank I wouldn't do any. Yeah, I'm not going to do any of that. Um, then I would take. Oh gosh, let's keep it X Men. I think Jean Grey's telekinesis. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm in the process of moving. And the thing that's terrible about moving is like actually doing it. Yes. And I can't tell you how many times I've just been like, I wish I could just like imagine all my stuff in the other place and just make <laughs> that immediately yep. happen. Um, then I would do, uh, okay, hot take. Doug Lehman, director Doug Lehman, <laughs> I think has pound for pound maybe the greatest IMDb in terms of quality. Okay. Maybe uh, maybe in recent movie history, I don't, uh, let's just talk about his movies. I don't actually think he's made a bad movie. And with regards to that, I would then take the powers from his 2008 film, Jumper. Oh, that is a good one, especially mixed with the Kitty Pride powers. Yeah. So Jumper is about, it's kind of like, Highlander meets X-Men, where yeah. uh, Hayden Christensen discovers that he has this power to just spontaneously teleport to anywhere in the world. Uh, and I forget actually the limitation. I think he's got to see a picture of it. or Yeah, he's you've got to, got to like, have something. seen it at some point, right. but it can be a picture. It can be a postcard or something like that. And then he learns that there's like a secret community of people who have this right. power. Right, this is the Highlander. That's the Highlander aspect yeah. of it, where there's actually like these people and there's two different sects, like the paladins and then the other ones who are trying to stop them. And it, and then this, war, like, war of jumpers has been going on for, like, centuries. Of course. Anyway, I've always been like, fuck, that's a cool, that's a cool power to just be like, I'm going to go to, see, I'm going to Paris. I'll be, I'll be back in five minutes. I'm going to go to Paris, <laughs> get some delicious soft cheese. <laughs> yeah, I will return with some soft cheese, some wine, and some uh. salted meats. Okay, so Sounds and wonderful. Then 
And then you know what? I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to the, the X-Men once again. And I'm going to go Doug Ramsey. Oh. Uh, who can understand any language. Yeah, that's a really uh, sick power. And I just feel like, isn't that like a cool, like utilitarian power that you could have? Where yeah. you would just like, under, whether it's coding languages, sign language, a, a living island that is like speaking in very, very mm-hmm. low frequency murmurs or any like human based language, you would understand it. I just feel like that's one of the coolest powers ever underutilized, I would add. I yes, think, I agree. For me in the history, in the, in the I X-Men think that, canon. I mean, imagine like the the Wonder Woman arc where she's like a, a diplomat. Doug yeah. Ramsey would be like the <laughs> ultimate diplomat or the ultimate spy. You could have an yeah. incredible Doug Ramsey story. Somebody pay me and Jason will write it. That's that. <laughs> they are. I'm like, we, we just pitched it. Well, Doug Ramsey was going to be on my list because ever since I was a kid, there were two things I always wanted if I imagined like a genie was going to give me something. <laughs> one of them one of them would be like, one of my wishes would obviously be to wish for more wishes. Duh, that's, so that's out. And then the two other wishes I would have that wouldn't break the genie's rules was... To, learn, to not be able to speak every language and understand yeah. every language and write every language. And then just to be able to be really good at skateboarding. I realize you could just teach yourself how to skateboard. <laughs> I'm still not really good, but I can skateboard. Learning every language, not as easy. So I will take that power okay. as well. And then me and Doug you can Ramsey. just be... We're, Doug Ramsey powers. We're just going to be globetrotting. Enjoying. Also, oh, you you made a it. good point because now you now you're a jumper and you can speak every language. Yeah, you can. So this is perfect. You can just, just be living it. life. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna take the Green Lantern power of like having you know. I th- what does that mean? Like in in the Super Scroll <laughs> sense, like would I need to wear the ring all the time? Would I just have the willpower? But I love the willpower. I think it is also underutilized. Even though Green Lantern is one of DC's biggest. Mm characters i feel like everyone always just imagines like a gun or a giant fist i could be imagining so much stuff cool stuff i just go around imagine people a house imagine myself a mansion imagine a spaceship go to space imagine all my things being moved to my house and like make a moving van and make like little moving green lantern willpower things to move things i hate moving so you really inspired me with that one so yeah green lantern powers doug ramsey powers I'm still playing a lot of Diablo 4, so I'm just taking those necromancy powers. Who do Which I need? One? Wait, 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 hold I, on. So the necromancy powers are very, there are a lot of them. <laughs> Which specific okay, okay. necro power I, would you take? If I'm taking, I want the power where if I kill people, as I do on a regular basis, I can just raise them up and make them oh, like yeah, evil cool. skeleton monsters. Like, if I'm a super scroll, that seems like it would be a useful power for me. So even though I wouldn't use it in my day-to-day life, that would be my one offensive power. Poor Doug Ramsey doesn't have very many offensive powers. Why was often seen as one of the weakest new mutants. Uh, and my last power, I was also gonna, I was also thinking Jean Grey, because obviously we're like extreme X-Men stands. But you know yeah. what? To t- it's like it's so annoying to be a telepath if you look at the x-men canon like people are always you're always hearing annoying. people's voices you're hearing too much stressful stuff so which I'm, is why i specifically only wanted the telekinesis i just want to like move that. stuff you just want to move i don't want to read minds like, i, I don't want to read stuff. minds yeah uh, your telekinesis that's a good power you could also get it from carrie or matilda yeah, you got, yeah, you got yeah. so many telekinetic options i don't quite well i don't want to get it from carrie just because i feel like those are a little cursed, cursed but yes powers yeah <laughs> matilda she had uh, powerful telekinesis but yeah. um I would probably go for Storm's powers just because they're really cool. Like yeah, I want to, and, really and cool. also 
you could do a lot of good if you can like go around making it rain you could solve or making climate it change. hot. You could solve climate change. Why isn't she doing that? Let's think bigger, guys. Well, she lives. She's like thinking about colonizing the galaxy. She's not even oh, thinking yeah, about yeah. the it's planet. Busy, she's like, you know? she's like, I'm done my, with her. My lake house on Mars. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, I'm over it. Um, just quickly, let me go through Doug Lehman's IMDb. Getting in, I've never seen, I don't know. 1996 Swingers, good movie. Yeah. 1999 Go, really good movie. Sarah Outrageous Polly, movie. Outrageously good movie. And I think, for my money, one of the most accurate on drug scenes I've ever watched in Woo. any movie. Uh, 2002 The Born Identity. Already, that's... A, an incredible run. Swingers go the born identity. 2005, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Oh, I mean, wow. we're just hot. 2008, Jumper. Underrated. I understand why it didn't do that well. Hayden Christensen, maybe not the not the box office. Definitely got like people a cult. Thought. Definitely got like a cult following now. Though. But I enjoyed it quite a bit. Fair game. Uh, you know, not not my favorite. Okay, there's a miss. 2014, Edge of Tomorrow. Classic. Wow. Stone somehow classic somehow movie. still underrated even by yeah. how much people like it somehow it's still Stone underrated classic. it's so good also and as then, well, oh yeah so that run from from ninety six to two thousand fourteen mm-hmm. is just epic that epic. is one of my and that's one of my favorite things actually is like. I remember this was always an old Twitter in the old days when Twitter was like a pure place where people would just be like, what are like, what's this cool thing that you can quote tweet with a fact or something? <laughs> One of them was always like, which director has the best like three movie run where it's just like yeah. boom, boom, boom. And there is truly some great ones. That Doug Lehman one is pretty great. It's it's very good. Swingers Go the Born Identity mm-hmm. is also that's eclectic. A run. Very, very eclectic. X-Ray Vision will be back. Extremely dumb book bans are on the rise, and we need to fight back. What can you do other than bake your librarian an elaborate cake and run for the school board? Wear free the books merch from the Crooked Store. Express your appreciation for literature and our comrades, the orcas, with these teas and magnets inspired by Free Willy. These have a very scholastic book fair vibe. Who doesn't love that? They bring me back to the good days when racist parents weren't threatening librarians' jobs, or at least we didn't know about it. Hightail it over to the crooked.com slash store to shop. And we're back. Next, Jacob asks, do you think it was a good idea for the MCU to leave so many stingers unresolved in phase four? Unlike in phases one to three where they created forward momentum, it feels like none of these phase four stingers have led to anything. Yeah, interesting. You know what? I think... Well, Rosie, what do you think? Yeah, so I think it's about, so I think it's a mixture of two things. I think that the original phases of the MCU were very definitively planned. So it yes. was easier for the stingers to be like, oh, Coulson's there with Molnir. That means we're going to meet Thor. You know, it was like, it was it was very simple. I feel like now we're in both the blessing and the curse of being in the weeds of the comic book world where they're doing something that's a bit more like comic booky, which is they're just kind of letting the people who make the movies do a cool stinger that they like the idea of that, that opens the door to something. So you're talking about like 
a stinger with Star Fox and Pip the Troll, characters most people have never heard of, but that promises like cosmic stuff. It promises Adam Warlock. You're talking about that really cool... And now, okay, I'm going to talk about the Etern- other Eternal Stinger, but like the Stinger <laughs> where you have, dark, you know, Black Knight and the and the Ebony Blade and you have the voice of Blade and it's kind of like, is it going to be like an MI3, like supernatural team-up story? Yeah. And I do think that it has weakened the impact, the Hercules reveal at the end of Thor. I do understand yeah. that. I do think it has weakened the impact for people not even just casual views, even for me, like the, there were stingers there that made me really excited. And it does feel kind of jarring to not immediately see where they're going or see them come to fruition. Yeah. But I think it's, it's. I do think they've been sowing cool seeds. Think about like the Shang-Chi, 10 rings, you know, it's a beacon. Where did that lead to? Yeah. Uh, so I understand where Jacob's coming from, but I do feel like with the right person or people in the future those things will be easy to tie together to feel like they're leading somewhere. Yeah, I feel like, you know, the issue is that the the tail has to go where the dog goes. Mm-hmm. And the dog right now doesn't quite know where it's going. Exactly. <laughs> no, I, I think mean, that's, that's really, perfect. That's and- really the kind of issue is, you know, there were several, there are a lot of structural things happening as you transition to phase four. Many of the legacy stars are moving on, don't want to do it mm-hmm. anymore. You have to build up new stars to carry the uh, to carry the the series forward, the universe forward. And you have to do that transition without quite knowing what's going to pop, what's going to resonate, yeah. what's the overall story. We don't have the story plus COVID, all that other stuff. So it has been difficult. And I think the knock-on effect has been um, that they don't really have – a place where they, where they're sure they're going. You know, Thanos mm-hmm. from moment one was going to be the big bad. They were going to get there somehow. And there was also Thanos like and, six heroes at the beginning. You know, there's like a very few, few people, and you link them together. Now you're in a world where there's like hundreds. Yeah, and and we're only in phase five. Although, this, you know, we are two movies into phase five, and um. It feels as if we've been treading water, mm-hmm. and I think the 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 stingers are kind of a symptom of that. I agree. The overall the overall issue is that we don't quite have a a, a place we're going yet. We don't yeah. know. Obviously, the Kang stuff is up in the air now too. Mm-hmm. What is the overarching story? Who is the team that's going to fight the bad guy? We do, like all of this is still up in the air, and and. Uh, it's no surprise then that the stingers would feel kind of disjointed to that. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I will be uh, as an armchair person who watches this stuff and all this. I also do think that some of that comes down to like the amount of TV shows because that has kind of spread the storytelling yeah. kind of of the MCU even wider. And when some stuff, so like, for example, when Adam Warlock was announced to be in Guardians of the Galaxy 3, I was like, oh, well, that's obviously where you'll see Star Fox and Pip again. You know, yeah. those are characters that are all really deeply connected. But those things aren't coming together as smoothly. And I think that a lot of the storytelling at the moment is quite scattered, which I think is normal for something that exploded in size and popularity. And now we need that streamlining event. I will say something I do think me and Jason have been right about, that I do think most of the stingers and storylines that feel un 
grounded and kind of adrift have been leading to is this like battle worlds version of the MCU. We had some people in Discord recently talking about it again, like where rather than it being multiple different universes that are combined together, which could be quite a hard fix, it's probably going to be these different secret societies and different factions within the MCU that are going to have to kind of fight together in the lead up to Secret Wars or as part of Secret Wars. So I think it will come together. But at the moment, yeah, they don't they don't know where it's going. And it is not as streamlined and simple as it was with that original, you know, 10-year plan for the MCU. Do you have a favorite Phase 4 stinger? I think my favorite Phase 4 stinger, surprising nobody. I really, I do, <laughs> I love the the Black Knight Blade stinger. I think Kit Harrington is too. great Black Knight casting. I think they did I did, such I did a, was not, I did not see that one coming. So I no, love that No, that's what I'm one. saying. I love the Ebony Blade where it's kind of like pulsing and it felt much yeah. more horror-y than the rest of the Eternals. I love the hint of Blade and this kind of idea that Blade's going around like helping people who are connected to the supernatural or warning them, like kind of putting together a team. That to me was the one where at the end I was most excited. Also, it was phase five, but I did lose it about the Victor Timely thing only because Mm. that is a ridiculous character that I own all appearances of because he's in like six things. So it's always kind of exciting when they throw something out there that's really deep cut. But then I think a problem with this era of the MCU is like doing that and then not necessarily delivering on that promise so we'll see what happens what about you the ebony blade is my technical favorite but i my emotional favorite and this surprised me is (laughs) is is uh eddie brock in oh my gosh no way home yeah getting transported back to uh his universe but leaving a little dollop of of symbiote like on a napkin uh, that one, I like that one. <laughs> that's really good. Also, I will actually say in a great context, that's a great answer because in the context of Jacob's question, arguably the hugest impact that has not been followed up on. Yeah. We, that was years ago now, guys. We literally could have a Venom or a symbiote or a version of it in the MCU now. And that's how long that's been stewing. So I agree. I thought that one was really fun. Also really hilarious to have that big reveal that he's gonna end up in the MCU and then he's just not in the fight. He has nothing to do with it. And at the end, he's just like chilling in a bar and it's like, you're back. You're back, baby. It's so good. So funny. Josh asks, I will say Josh asks, but also argues very well for this point. So I'm curious whether either of you believes that Rhaenys would have been a better option to send to Storm's End instead of Luke. My initial thoughts on why Rhaenys would have been a better option let the Blacks know that they have an offer out at Storm's End already, so a stronger emissary than Luke to challenge the Greens' offer. Her mother was a Baratheon, so stronger blood connection than Luke, allegedly has. Rhaenys has more experience navigating the realm yeah. and interacting with High Lords, no question. No question and about that. Melisse is an older and larger dragon compared to Arax, so it seems to be a better use of Rhaenys to go to Storm's End and then patrol the Narrow Sea rather than going directly to the Narrow Sea. And it seems like they missed an opportunity to play a stronger hand at Storm's End and keep Luke in the fold. I think, I mean, Josh, you nailed it. Yeah, I you, think the you issue, broke it down. I think the issue is, uh, this is now 2020 hindsight. I, I understood, while it look, it obviously looks terrible in hindsight, mm-hmm. considering what happened. Um, but I understand what Rhaenyra was thinking in that 
here is a less like if you send Rainice and 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 Melis, that is aggressive. Yeah. And you know, maybe a fight would start. And now the mm-hmm. war is here, right? And w- the, at this point in time, Rhaenyra is thinking, avoid the war, avoid the war. How can we avoid the war? Um, and so sending, you know, sending Luke, um, I, I think was, it was smart in the sense of, you know, he wouldn't be out and out attacked. Uh, he's so young. His dragon is not a threat. And really, that's the way it almost did play out, if not for the fact that the other side just flat out lost control of their dragon. Like, they just yeah. lost control. Of the, the dragons have a mind of their own. Um, it did. It almost worked. Um, and I think you're right. You're obviously right. But at that point in time, you know, Rhaenyra was thinking, how can we avoid war? Maybe I, you know, by sending, by sending my son, I'm kind of one signaling, I'm looking for peace, and also look how important this is mm-hmm, to me. I'm sending mm-hmm. my own blood to carry this message. Um, the issue to me was that they just didn't prepare Luke enough. Yes. That like he should have had, like hard orders. If you see another dragon, you turn around, you come back. That's mm-hmm. it. Then we'll send a raven. We'll deal with it that way. Yeah. Two, it may come it may come to the point where there's like a marriage deal being thrown around. Here is what you are uh allowed to bargain. Yeah. You know, like here's here's here are the terms that maybe we could we could kind of like soft handshake on. Mm-hmm. Rather than just Luke being like Oh, I don't know. I can't really do that. And I guess I got to go back and ask my mom and like just head over there with like a set of positions already that he can deal with. And then again, number one thing is like, if you see another dragon, just turn around and fly back. Yeah. Just turn around and fly back. Like we we lost. We lost the race to get there mm-hmm. first. And if you lose the race to get there first, turn around and come back. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I also think it was like an emotional decision rather than a strategic one. Like yeah. it was coming from the heart and this idea of that there was still a way to end this war and mend this rift. And yeah. Luke was a representation of that. But I think you're right. It also, it was like playing 4D chess, but without thinking about any of the absolute wild card parts of that, like the dragons, like teenage boys, mm-hmm. like all the kind of horrible things that ended up going wrong. But yeah, on a strategic level and a hindsight level, I'm sure that Rhaenyra probably thinks every single day that she should have sent Rhaenys. Yes, absolutely. Next, Camilla asks, if you had to choose only one of each, what's the most interesting book or comic you read, TV show or movie you watched last year? Oh, wow, Rosie. What, what do you Ooh. got? Um... Oh, man. Oh, yeah. You know what? I'm going to pick. So I watched this was just a movie that I just really loved and I thought was so good. And it's an old movie, a really, really great old movie uh, called Purple Noon. And it just really impacted like everything else I was thinking about this year that I've watched since. So it's Alain Delon in his first major film. He's really, really great. Oh, wow. It's directed by Rene Clement. And it's basically like it's an adaptation of the, the talented Mr. Ripley but it's like a French 60s noir movie. And it's so good. And the way that they adapt it and make it into a movie about the process of 
how and why he is so good at stealing people's identities really impacted a lot of the way I was thinking about film and TV as I watched it this year, like Secret Invasion. We were talking about how like, you never really understand the spycraft or the scrolls or why they yeah. do the things they do. And that's part of the reason why it kind of didn't really work. Whereas something like Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, so much of it is about the spycraft, about the gadgets, about the plans. And that really works. And I was thinking back to Purple Noon a lot. Also, just like an achingly cool movie where people are kind of lounging around in the hot <laughs> Mediterranean sun. It's incredibly homoerotic, just like the the American version. Also, very interesting kind of theme throughout this year of things that I've watched has been like realizing that a lot of things that are adapting a source material are really adapting versions that have come before. So like I had this realization with Batman movies. Basically every Batman movie is really just kind of adapting Batman 1989. They're never really mm. adapting the comics. A lot of them share the same beats. Something like The Batman, which I loved, and then rewatching The Dark Knight. The Batman actually has a lot of the same emotional and narrative beats as The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight has a lot of the same emotional narrative beats as 1989. So like kind of realizing a lot of times that when films are made, they're sort of remaking the other film versions rather than the the source material itself. And that is very much the case with Purple Noon and the American talented Mr. Ripley, which is really great and enjoyable. But that movie, so much of it is actually harking back to this really gorgeous, funny, weird French film. And the coolest thing about it is like, the movie kind of opens as like a broad ribald comedy before it takes this mm. kind of darker turn. And I feel like that's something that a lot of American movies can't really do. Like the talented Mr. Ripley is just this really straight down the line, like scary crime thriller with like yeah. these kind of undertones of homoeroticism, which is really great. But Purple Noon is like really expansive. At times it's like a vacation movie. At times it's a romance. At times it's a thriller. At times it edges on the horror. And it's, but it's kind of funny throughout. So that's definitely interesting and kind of impactful on the way I was looking at other things. That would be mine for the last, for the last year. What about you? I'm going to pick, gosh, for a movie, I'm going to pick an old movie too. So, uh, you know, Oppenheimer, of course, is in theaters. You might mm -hmm. have seen Oppenheimer star Cillian Murphy uh, inside the Criterion Closet late talking about uh, the movie La Haine, which he showed yes. his kids recently. Wow. And what a movie. I own the, I own the Blu-ray. I remember seeing it at a some – at the uh, – indie theater in the late nineties when I worked at the, when I worked at movie theaters, we had like a, um, a deal with all the movie theaters in town where you could get a discount to go to like the art mm -hmm. movie theater and see various movies. And I saw like Rumble Run there. I saw Lahane there. I saw a lot of stuff there. And I remember, so Lahane by uh, Matthew Kasovitz, who's also an actor, you might've seen him in, um, in Munich as the bomb maker nerdy guy in that kind of like spy group. He directed a movie called Lahane, came out in 1995, and it honestly feels like it could have come out yesterday. Yeah, it's it, it, unbelievable. It's, all the issues that it deals with, France is dealing with still to this day, they're the same exact issues, mm -hmm. the same exact complaints, uh, and it just feels like a incredibly visceral, vital movie. It opens with 
this wonderful play on, uh, you know, the the uh, Travis Bickle taxi driver, you talking to me scene that has this wonderful, I don't want to spoil it, but like one of the great like in-camera tricks where mm-hmm. the guy's looking in the mirror. Yeah. And then, and you know, I, I don't, I don't want to spoil it because it's just an amazing shot. You know, James Cameron is also st- st- stole that for the Terminator. Like it's just like one of these wonderful, like in camera tricks and uh, it's all in black and white. And it's, I would describe it as like, uh, it's just a, it, it's it an unbelievable of a piece movie. with the nineties mm-hmm. uh, in that it has that kind of, you know, uh, lost, aimless, youth, quick cut, kind of energetic mm-hmm. style, but it's just fucking great. And again, it feels, it really feels like it could have come out yesterday. Well, literally, I uh, mean, the, the riots that were happening recent, most recently in France, they were about the death of a young black man yep. at the hands of the police. Same exact and thing that, that the and, fucking movie is about. And the movie about. is about the same thing. It, and... And also Vincent Cassell is in it, like probably his breakout role, like such an unreal movie. This I, is one of my most, this is one of my most rewatched movies. Like when uh, I was kind of like, an, can't get enough of it. When I was like an angry teen and I was living with like a bunch of friends and stuff like this was the movie that we felt like it kind of, even in like, that would have been in the early 2000s, 20 years after the movie, came, 10, 10 years after the movie came out, that felt like it still captured the way we felt about things and that kind of anger and that like that bubbling like fury of like living in a really unfair system and yeah like you said it's it's I'm not surprised that he brought it up because it feels so relevant now just as it could be like just as it was then so another one of those things where you're like this is so great but like nothing's changed yeah nothing's <laughs> changed we have not moved nothing we've not moved forward even an inch everything feels exactly the same and then uh for books i would say tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow by oh, gabrielle seven book. is sneaks up on you mm-hmm. uh, i don't want to spoil it but it's kind of through the lens of of uh different styles of video game narratives mm-hmm. and um there's one about two-thirds through the book where it, it, everything comes together the plot the characters the story that particular little conceit of this like video game lens and it just hits so hard mm-hmm. um wonderful wonderful very surprising and good book yeah uh, and then i've talked about it uh, i i think i've talked about it previously but probably the most like eye-opening like non-fiction book that i read this year is uh uh chris miller's chip war mm-hmm. the fight for the world's most critical technology just about how you know i'm gonna sound like fucking kramer on on cnbc but like but uh how microchips are basically oil that's yeah the 21st century oil uh, really, really interesting, and it puts a lot of the things that are kind of like happening in the news in 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 context. Yeah. Good books. Yeah, one of the for me, the book would probably be so. There's this author called T.J. Clune who wrote this book called The House in the Cerulean Sea, and it's basically it's one of my all time favorite books now. And that book was like a revelation when I was reading it, kind of like Tomorrow, Tomorrow, and Tomorrow, where it's like. You know what's going to happen, but the way that you get there and and the yeah. outcome is very different. It's essentially like, what if you crossed Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Doug Adams, with that with the X Men? Yeah. So it's like, it's about a guy who works in a kind of 
dystopian future where kids who have powers are put into orphanages. And it's kind of this Douglas Adams-esque, like very, it's kind of surreal, but in your own word, very bureaucratic, very boring life. And his job is to investigate the orphanages and check whether they're taking care of the kids. But he's more of like a box ticker than anything else. And he gets sent to an orphanage run by a man who's very like controversial and seen as very outside of the system. And the orphanage is in like a small seaside town. And all all the kids there are like unbelievably kind of dangerously powerful. And it's this beautiful like coming of age story, but coming of age in like your 50s. And it's a romance Mm. and it's queer. And the characterization of like the kids and the powers are so unbelievable. It's such a wonderful book. And then I've read his other books that he's released since are just equally in that zone of like supernatural, cozy, queer, but just never really read anything else like it. Like it's it's so good. And every time I recommend it to someone, they'll just text me the whole time they're reading it going like, what the fuck? Like, this is so good. So that would definitely be my book. And then my comic one, which I've talked about a lot on the pod, but I do think it kind of changed the game and I've been happy to see it, is Jamila Rouser and... Robin Smith wrote, made a book called Wash Day Diaries, which is like a slice of life book about black friends in Brooklyn and their hair care regimes and kind of their life through the lens of that and their friendships and their romance. And I feel like it was rightfully very acclaimed. It's beautiful. It's so sweet. But also I feel like it kind of opened the doors now to be having more slice of life comics, having more romance comics, having more comics that are more in the vein of what manga has been doing for a long time what indie comics have been doing but putting it into that publishing market so if you have still haven't read it just get a copy because it's like really lovely x-ray vision will be back and we're back Danielle asks, what comics arc universe or characters would be best served by an animated adaptation well, this is kind of a cheat, but I I feel like almost all of them. Uh-huh. <laughs> like anyone you could think no, of. No, I agree. I feel like the the if if you do, I feel like the the target is a lot bigger uh-huh. with animated, and if you nail it, it's going to be wonderful, and you can do so many things that you know are ported directly from whatever your source material is. Uh, and can be essentially like they are in the source material without having to do sets or CG or any kind of big, you know, uh, explosive stunts or whatever. And Mm -hmm. I think most of honestly, most of them would probably be better served. And the harder version is the live action version. Mm -hmm. No, I think... In a sense, harder to do well. Yeah, I think you're totally right. I think there's a reason why animated adaptations are so beloved and it's because they can adapt something so singularly but also so expansively because it's much simpler i won't say easier because the amount of work that goes into these things is immense but you can you your imagination can be a lot bigger when you're doing an animation i think about that's why people love like batman the animated series that's why they yep. love x-men 92 that's i was just thinking about spawn if you've never watched the hbo spawn series it's unbelievable it's like one of the few western r-rated animated shows it's really scary it sums up everything that 
the comics did well. And I love the much maligned Spawn movie because it's totally fun. But if you put those two next to each other, you can see the difference in what you're able to achieve in animation and what you're able to achieve in the space of like a, a live action movie, especially in the 90s when you're like, don't have necessarily the effects or the budget to do what you want to do. If I was going to pick like, you know what? I just want to see more X-Men stuff. And I know that we're getting X-Men yeah. 97, but in my head, I just, that's where I immediately go is like, I want to see an X-Men animated movie that gets a cinema release. I want to see like them adapting really incredible, you know, there was a Star Wars comic called Droids and that was t- tied to like a cartoon and everything. But like, I would love to see like a Pixar droids movie. Like I want to oh, see, that'd be cool. right? You can imagine it immediately. Like uh, I would love to see an Ardman kind of adaptation of something like Super Pets or the, you know, the Pet Avengers. Like I think there's so many spaces and I'm hoping with, you know, Mario being a billion, the first billion dollar movie of the year, I'm sure Turtles is going to do super well. Yeah. I would love to see studios investing oh obviously spider-verse like i want to see studios investing more into that space because i do think it should be we should be getting the same amount of live action and animation adaptations of these things especially in comics where illustration and animation are so intertwined yeah phil asks Love the pod. I'm a relatively new comic book reader. I'm looking for recommendations for omnibus reads, mm-hmm. a format I enjoy because they can be so thoughtfully constructed. My favorite so far is Grant Morrison's Batman Volume 2. Can't go wrong. Yeah. I loved how it jumped between Grayson and Damien's story and Bruce Wayne's incredible journey through time. Do you have any recommendations for a well-constructed omnibus story? Rosie? Oh, I mean, this is like such one of the best things about being a comics reader right now when comics are so popular when they're inspiring the biggest movies on earth is we are getting so many good collected editions i have two that i always go to that i think are really easy i obviously grant morrison's batman iconic so my two would be if you like that get a new x-men collection morrison and frank quietly's new x-men such good weird stuff and it will grip you from the opening double page spread which is just absolutely bonkers it feels almost like an introduction to the x-men so i think you can read it and never really need to know a lot about the x-men though it will color your experience of the x-men going forward for me it's the best most interesting version of cyclops but it's totally different than any other version yeah so i think the morrison quietly and many many other artists x-men run is a really really great read that is just such a joy also they now have a very affordable very enjoyable young avengers collection the mckelvey and gillen and matt wilson young avengers and i think that is like one of the most readable singular stories that you can really feel like you've just read a graphic novel you've read an omnibus where the whole thing fits together and you get such a satisfying read so those are my my two that if i'm in the comic shop and i hear people saying like i don't really know what i should read i always pull those two out if they're around and kind of go here you are this this one's good um i will add on to that i'll say the uncanny x-men omnibus volume one which is basically Mm -hmm. the giant size x-men era the chris claremont era the good stuff i mean you go right directly to the to the vein with that one like it's just fucking great it's great from beginning to end uh you don't get all the way through the phoenix saga with that one but it will certainly wet wet your appetite and it's just like mind-blowing storytelling Mm -hmm. david s goyer was with us last week talking about it 
Um, I would say for something, you know, one that I, I don't know if it's underrated, but to me, Annihilation and Annihilation Conquest, there's Mm -hmm. an omnibus for each event, are two of like the best crossover events that Marvel's done in like the last 20 years. Huge stakes, entire galaxies getting destroyed, like war throughout the galaxy, just really, really fun. Formation of the of the modern Guardians of the Galaxy team happens there. Mm-hmm. And is just a swashbuckling space adventure par excellence. Um, and then you know what? The Invincible Omnibus. Oh my gosh, it's uh, huge. Robert Kirkman's Invincible Omnibus Woo. is fucking great. So now it's like massive. It, it's a ton. It's massive and really good. Now, be warned, if you are new to Invincible and you're really into the show, the story that's in the show is basically done by like one fifth through the omnibus. Yes, you will so spoil yourself for you the future. You will spoil yourself for the future if you pick it up, but it's fantastic. It's okay. fantastic. I'm gonna, so the last two I'll say, one is 100% like go to your comic shop, buy it, because it's one of the best collections. They it's just reprinted great. it. And, and I will also say... Um, the Hawkeye, the Matt Fraction, David Aha Hawkeye oh, run. Yeah, so That's good. it's a beautiful looking trade. You're gonna be really happy with it when you read it. They did a new version of it recently. It's great. I will say, as an out there one, just because it is one of the greatest collected omnibus formats of all time. Try Akira. Look, it's totally out Ooh. there. You're you're new to comics. I get it. It's like a really intense thing, but those. Those phone book style Akira omnibuses are so enjoyable to read. Yeah, there you are. Jason's got, you can get them. They are like, they were a staple of our childhood. They're so beautiful. The art is unbelievable. They're black and white. You can buy the hardcover ones Dark Horse did, or you can walk into any comic shop and probably bookshop and just pick up the first one. It's worth a try. It's really dense. It's really crazy, but the art is beautiful, and it was—it ma- really feels like it was just made to be read in these formats. So there's a few that you can pick up. Let us know what you think about them. So Sergio asks, and I think it's a great question because I think a lot of people are kind of thinking along these lines. For the past two years, I've been writing a TV show in my free time, and even mm-hmm. though the chances of it ever seeing the light of day are slim to none, I never stopped doing it because it's something I truly enjoy. Now. I've checked the guidelines on the WGA website, and I think I'm in the clear since I'm not part of the guild or currently trying to pitch to any studios, which he mentions he wouldn't even know where to start. But I wanted to know if it would be frowned upon if in the future people pitch stuff that they wrote on their own spare time during the strike. He says he just wants to be sure, and he thought we were the best people to ask. So what do you think, Jason? I would say, uh, well, how I guess... The question would be like, how are you pitching? Are you submitting? Are you like mm-hmm. sending in a script? I would just wait until the uh, action is over just yeah. to be safe. Now, animated is a different union that isn't necessarily covered uh, by WGA guidelines. But I would say just to be safe, just wait. wait. Just wait because then you're in solidarity. Also, I think Sergio has a fear here that like because he wrote it during the strike, right? would that mean it was ineligible or some way scabbing but no that's like your no, no, own no, no, no. personal project that you're writing on. right we all have Correct. comic books or pilots that we work on in our own spare time this is about not giving the studios who are struck content 
in the right. place of the stuff that is being held from them. So as long as you're not pitching or anything until the action is over, if you're writing something, your TV show, you finished writing it during the strike, if you wait until the action is over and pitch it, it doesn't matter when you wrote it. I, a, I would also say, yes, I, that, yeah. that's right. I would also say for other, you know, listen, I'm I'm a very new TV writer as well. Like, I, I, I hesitate to give advice. But I would say, you know, one of the things that I found most useful is um, one, think about your your script first as a way to show people, like, I understand character, I understand story. Mm-hmm. Um, and secondarily, and only like a, a, a very, very lagging second uh, of being like, this is a thing I can sell. Mm-hmm. Um, because really the the best way in is to show folks you can write. Um, start writing other shows, other people's projects, mm-hmm. get a job writing. And then if when the opportunity arises, try and pitch the, the dream project. And then I would say, like, as a third thing, it's re- it is, of course, really hard to break in. If there's a TV, like, wherever the Portuguese television market, wherever that's located, where the, wherever the center of the industry is, like, in... in your country, uh, try and go there and mm-hmm. meet people. I, I, agree. I think one of the things in this era, the the era of the internet, that can you feel like you're connecting with people because you meet them online and they read mm-hmm. your stuff and maybe they, you know, will point to something you wrote and you you're creating this network of people. But like nothing really beats meeting someone in person yep. and showing that you exist in the in the meat space like you're a real mm-hmm. person in the world there's just it's just a difference and a, some a certain kind of alchemy happens from that because you just it it's hard to really feel like a person exists unless you meet them in person mm-hmm. and once you meet them in person a huge part of breaking into any kind of creative community is are you like, do people perceive you as like a good hang? Are you a person? Yeah. Talent often is like, again, a, a secondary priority. It's like, can I spend eight hours a day in a room with this person yeah, and not want to kill him? What are your vibes like? Do you have bad what are vibes? Your vibes? Do you have good like? vibes? Yeah. And and that can only be transmitted in person. Yeah. So if you can if you can spend time wherever mm-hmm. the uh, the center of the Portuguese uh, television industry is for like a week or a couple of weeks, if you mm-hmm. can figure out a way to do that, try and do that. Try yeah, and do I, that and try and meet people. I say that's absolutely true also because those opportunities are afforded to people who are in those spaces a lot of yeah. times. And like I never thought I would be a full-time writer, let alone a podcast host, let alone just before the strikes began, in like, a few months before, I'd been approached because I lived in LA, because I was known by other people about pitching yeah. uh, for an animated show. So I got to script my own, I got to submit my script to the WGA to have it, you know, uh, kind of have them know that it existed. And obviously then the strikes happened, so I didn't know what happened with it. But that wouldn't have been something I could do if I wasn't in LA. Yeah, You know, the fact that you're here and you have those opportunities, mm-hmm. being close and in proximity and sort of meeting people and being like, hey, this is what I'm into. This is what I do. That's a really good way. So I, I love it's that really, you mentioned really that because I've been thinking about it a lot recently. It's it's really, really important. And I understand that it's also like not easy. Listen, I dropped five figures to move to Los Angeles mm-hmm. of my 
my own money and like yeah. crashed my savings. Uh, but it was the right thing to do because you just need to, people need to see your face mm -hmm. and catch your vibe and understand what you're like, know that you're around. Uh, and then the thing that will happen is, oh, I know that guy, Sergio. Yeah, I know him. Uh, mm -hmm. He gave me one of his things. I wonder if he's any good. He's like a good hang. And stuff will start to come from that. It won't feel like anything's happening for a while. But that's part of of putting in the work. You're doing yeah. the, 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 the important part, the writing. To get it out there, you've got to get yourself out there. Um, so try and do that if you can. Yeah. Um, up next, Nerd Out. In today's Nerd Out, where you tell us what you love and why, a theory you're excited to share, or a quick question we can answer, Corey has another comic book question, very appropriate for today. Hey Jason and Rosie, you have all really inspired me to start reading comics and graphic novels. I just read V for Vendetta and I loved it. I also really enjoy companion-style pods that discuss the media I'm consuming. Do you have any recommendations or tips for finding people talking about classic comic book runs? Wow. Um, Rosie, do you know of any? I So I would say, um, you know... Jay and Miles explain the X-Men. If you've been reading any X-Men, that's a real classic one that people love most. I have a lot of X Cerebrocast. That's Cerebrocast another space where you're going to hear people. Uh, one of the ones that I love now, it will all be all Marvel, but was recently announced it's coming to an end. Me and Jason have actually both been guests on it. But Marvel's pull list is really great because it's incredibly eclectic. Each episode is somebody different talking about a different Marvel run. So if you're reading something and you go on pull list, you can just search the episodes and see if somebody's spoken about it. So I think that's a really good space. Even though you'll only get an episode about each one, those podcasts are out there and, and there's a lot of fun stuff. Jason, how about you? Um, I Cerebrocast as well, I listen to quite regularly. It's less, it's more current mm -hmm. uh, and there's more reference, you know, there's like a lot of references through the very particular voice of that podcast about uh, storylines and arcs from the past, but it's mostly mm -hmm. about like what is ha what is currently happening, yeah. and they'll have guests on talking about like their favorite character. Um, you know what? Like, I, Fat Man and Beyond, believe it or not, like has had some. The Kevin mm -hmm. Smith pod has had some good moments. Uh, Jay and Miles explain the X Men. Yes, is, yeah, definitely is, one is, of the leaders in terms of what you're asking for. Mm -hmm. I think is the most on-the-nose version of the thing that you're asking for. Um, and then, like, if you want to... Uh, uh, the pull list is great as a way to kind of get into Marvel-centric now. Mm -hmm. Just, like, classic runs. Yeah. People's... Your your favorite person's favorite mm -hmm. run. Um, the only thing is it's, it is obviously quite blinkered because it's just going to be Marvel. Marvel stuff. Yeah. Thanks, Corey. If you have theories, passions, or quick questions you want to share, hit us up at xrayatcricket.com. Instructions are in the show notes. That's it for us, Rosie. Any plugs? Keep supporting the strikes. It's been really cool to see everyone coming together and doing it. It's very hot out there, so see if there's it's any hot. way you can support people on the picket lines. Uh, for me personally, I have a book that I contributed to that's coming out called Screen Traveler's Guide. It's a super cool, like place where you can 
find all the information about where your favorite movies were filmed. And that's really cool. The production design on the book is beautiful. That's coming out from DK, which is somewhere I always wanted to write. So I'm stoked about that. And you can pre-order that now. Catch the next episode Wednesday, August 9th for TMNT Mutant Mayhem. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are back. They're back, baby. And you can watch full episodes of the podcast on YouTube. Also check out Twitter at XRVPod and our Discord to hang out with lots of cool fans. Five-star ratings, five-star reviews. We need them. We got to have them. You got to give them to us. Here's one from Tinkerbell. Three. My go-to for so, so much. You're both amazing, and I love all your coverage of my top faves. The Batman commentary is perfection. I can't wait for your Lord of the Ring podcast. And I love the new things you introduced me to. Thank you, Tinkerbell. Thank you so much. X-Ray Vision is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Chris Lord and Saul Rubin and executive produced by me, Jason Concepcion. Our editing and sound design is by Vasilis Fotopoulos. Video production by Delon Villanueva and Rachel Gajewski. Social media by Awa Okalati and Caroline Dunphy. Thank you to Brian Vasquez for our theme music. See you next time. Stories about growing up. Stories of bold Californian innovators who impacted the region and the world with their inventions and discoveries. We're talking about the types of stories you'll discover at LAS Studios, a member-supportive creative home for what's next and who's next. Listen for a blend of memoir, identity, pop culture analysis, and oral history. Visit laist.com slash podcasts to learn more.